Um, I'm gonna go ahead and get started a little bit early. We're like three minutes early. Um, just so that we have enough time for question and answer at the end. I just want everyone to be able to get the most out of this. So looks like, you know, if people still want to filter in, that's totally fine. But um, my name is Paris Lacella. Um, and we're going to be talking about practical help for a special needs ministry. So I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background on myself. I am an occupational therapist. Um, I've been working in the field for a little over five years now. I currently work at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Those of you who are in Columbus are probably really familiar with Nationwide. Um, so I work at one of their outpatient facilities right now doing therapy. I also have experience working in the home health setting with kids with disabilities and their families and then I have experience working in the school system with kids from preschool all the way up to middle school so a lot of kind of roundabouts experience there but just so you guys get to know me a little bit if you don't know what occupational therapy is that's totally fine that's about 90% of the population so um, they make us practice our elevator speech in school because literally no one knows what we are so occupational therapy is basically um, just we work with really people of any age specifically I work in pediatrics like I said but um, we re really help people to be more functional and independent in their daily lives so that they can participate and be successful despite what type of ability or disability that they may have so that's kind of the overall um, kind of scope of where I'm coming from is that occupational therapy um, background so um, I prepared a presentation for you guys and it might seem like it's a little bit um, all over the place. That's because when it comes to working with kids with disabilities, there are so many things you could go into. I mean, there's so many different types of diagnoses and disabilities out there, so many different types of needs. And so I um, wanted to give you guys the most practical things that I knew how, so I just kind of pulled from a little bit of everything. So I hope that's okay with you guys. Um, and this morning, um, literally right when I walked in um, today, I was talking with my lead pastor, and then we were in worship and stuff, and I felt like a big word that God was giving me, which is not on my presentation, but I want to let you guys know, is advocacy. So this is a population that they really, really need advocates. This is a population that often does not have a voice. If they do voice their opinion, often they're not heard or they're not felt like they're important enough to hear. And so I wanna encourage you guys, as we're going throughout this, really take these things into consideration and think how can I be an advocate for this population in my church? It is so important. So with that being said, um, we're gonna get started. Okay, so I thought I would start out with some statistics. So about one in six or 17% of children in the United States are diagnosed with a developmental disability. That is, it seems like a small number compared to the large sum, but it is a significant number. And um, that number has grown since you know years past. That's a 2022 statistic from the CDC. It's a significant number. Um, and those are just the ones who are diagnosed. The other statistics I wanted to bring your attention is that 46.6% of special needs parents refrain from religious activities because they feel that their child is not welcomed or included. And then to go along with that, over 50%, over 50%, that is a very large number, of parents keep their special needs child from participating in religious activities due to limited support or having to stay with them in order for their child to participate. Um, these are kind of some shocking numbers. Um, they were shocking for me, so I hope they're shocking for you as well. Um, but this is really what I got from this, is that's not acceptable. You know, like we have this whole group of people that are being missed. They're not being discipled. They're not being heard. They don't feel welcome to come into our buildings. And that's just not okay. So this is why special needs ministry is so important. This is why advocating for this is so important. So how do we do this? What does this look like? Well, when teaching kids about Jesus and thinking about kids ministry, the overarching goal is essentially the same. And this is our goal, for each child to learn and know the gospel and to help them grow in their personal relationship with Jesus. 
right? We all, we all know this if you're in kids ministry, right? Um, your specific church might have their own vision, their own mission that they are, you know, going after. But essentially as the big C church, right, this is our goal. And so the main thing is that our goal is the same, but our methods need to be inclusive. We need to start thinking about different ways to reach our kids. So, like I said, when we're talking about disabilities as a whole, this is a very large population. It's very difficult to think about specifics and small practical things that we can do. And it's almost like, you know, what do I even look at first? What is my first step? So these are kind of our first steps. Um, if you have a special needs ministry already at your church, you might be doing some of these. Great. But if you're not, then these are kind of some things to look at. So first, think about who is in your church right now. Um, is there a type of disability or a, a group of disabilities that you can kind of say, these are the people that we have here, how can we meet this specific need? And then when you can meet the people that are already in your congregation and take care of those families, then you can start to think about, okay, now who might walk into our doors? Who can I reach next? How can I adapt what we already have to meet the people that are going to come in later? How can I make visitors feel welcomed? But first, we really want to look at, you know, who is in your group? or who is in your church already. Um, next, we're going to talk about a buddy system. So I'm sure all of us have heard about the buddy system. It's, all, it's common in um, sports, like Challenger League, Special Olympics. They have a buddy system. Even in the schools, you know, when they have aids in the classrooms, things like that. The buddy system is kind of common knowledge. Um, but there's different types of buddies that you can use. So there's a one-on-one -on -one type buddy system that you can have. And so that can be used for um, kids who have more significant needs. So maybe they have, you know, complex medical needs or, you know, maybe they need help with mobility. And so you need to have one person assigned to that specific child to help them get around or help them to participate fully. But then you can take a look at classroom buddies. And a classroom buddy is a person who is in your special needs ministry, a volunteer, and they might be assigned maybe two, three kids probably at most. I think that two is a good number, but just depending on the kids' needs, you might be able to assign them to three. But they are kind of like hovering, right? So they might not be directly sitting next to that child in your ministry and helping them one-on-one, -on -one, giving that attention, but they are in the room and they're available for help if needed, keeping their eye on the kids that they are responsible for. And so this is a type of buddy system that might be really helpful for some of our higher functioning kids. So maybe, you know, a lot of kids who have autism who are used to being in a typical classroom setting in school, but they just need someone to give them a gentle reminder like, hey, you can use these strategies to calm down. Or, hey, you know, do you need to take a break? We can go take a break. Um, someone like that who can just kind of be there to guide that or maybe someone who is um, limited in their mobility, but they're able to pretty much get around themselves. Like they can propel their own wheelchair, they can get around on crutches, but maybe they need help with other things. That would be a good person who's assigned to like a classroom buddy. The next thing is that we need to get organized. And as simple as this seems, it can be difficult um, in understanding, you know, the little minute details of how to do this. So getting organized, have trainings for your volunteers. If you have people at your church, you know, they might have a heart for special needs ministry. They might want to volunteer, but if they've never done that before and they have no education, that is so scary. You're going to get assigned someone's child to be responsible for them, and they have all of these needs, and if you don't know how to meet them, you're probably not going to last in special needs ministry. You need resources. So train your people. Resource your people. I'm going to give you guys some resources at the end of this presentation on um, people that you can talk to, organizations that you can work through to get some trainings going at your church. But that is essential because your volunteers are not going to stick around if they're given this child and they don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't know what they're walking into. The next thing 
is um, gather lots of information about your volunteers and the families and the children that you are working with. You need to develop profiles for them. So your volunteers, the profiles are mostly going to be like, oh, you know, what are your interests? You might want to take a little Polaroid picture and put it on their profile um, just so that you can give that to the family and the family can know, okay, this is the person that my child is assigned to. These are the things that they're interested in um, just so that they get to know you as a person because also for these families, it can be scary handing off their child to someone else. A lot of, a lot of parents with special needs kids, they don't get a break. They are their sole caregiver. And so handing them off to someone else and saying, here, take care of my child, that's scary. That brings a lot of anxiety to the table. And so just having those profiles that families can have for you, for our volunteers, are going to be essential. But then also, you definitely want to have a profile built on the child that you're caring for. You want to know what their needs are. You want to know, you know, are they going to need to use a wheelchair? Are they going to be on crutches? Um, does this person have a cognitive disability? You want to know what um, your volunteers are going to want to know what they're getting into as well, right? Um, you're going to want to have sections for like, you know, has this person experienced trauma? You don't have to get into the details, but it can be a simple yes or no, because there are things that come along with that. Has, does this person have sensory needs? Um, so just questions like that to think of when you're building your profiles and you're educating people about your ministry. Okay, next we're going to talk about the physical environment. So, in the world of therapy, we often talk about this concept of universal design. And so, if you have never heard this term, it's basically used for designing spaces that are functional for all people groups, despite their age, their ability, or any other factor that comes into place. And so, this concept is not just designed to be accessible or just for people with, spe with um, special needs or disabilities. This is a concept that is, okay, how can I make my classroom or my space um, universal for all people? And so all people can benefit from this type of design. Um, many buildings, luckily, Newer buildings especially are already designed with this concept in mind because of ADA's regulations that were passed in 2010 set this new standard that our buildings need to be accessible. However, churches and religious organizations are exempt from that rule. So maybe if your church was built before then, um, they might not you know, have some of these things in place. So it's, it's good to be mindful of so that you are kind of thinking in this light to make sure that everyone feels welcome in your building. Can everyone physically get into your building and navigate it? Um, so we're gonna think about different parts of the building. So we're gonna talk about your entryways. First, are there stairs to get into your building? Are there stairs to get into your kid's space? And if there are, is there, gonna, is there other ways that kids can get up the stairs? Do you have a lift? Do you have an elevator? Something of that sort. Do you have a ramp in your building that kids can use? When you're talking about the doorway into your classroom, can a wheelchair physically fit in your doorway? Something to think about, probably something that you don't think about on the regular, but if you're in a wheelchair, that's probably all someone thinks about, is like, can I physically get into this building, you know? When we're thinking about restrooms, are there grab bars in your restrooms? Are there stalls that are big enough to fit a wheelchair inside of them? When you're thinking about um, the doors in your space, do you have round knobs? Because those can be really difficult to grab if you have limited mobility in your hands or limited strength in your hands. If you have like a lever doorknob like these or um, like the handlebar ones, it's, those are a lot more accessible for people. Just little things to think about. If you have cubbies or shelves for like storage for toys or belongings or et cetera, are they an appropriate height? Can someone who is seated in a wheelchair reach those things? Can someone who is um, standing on crutches or have limited balance, can they reach the bottom shelves in your cubbies? Can they access those toys? So if you're not sure, um, you can check out some of the ADA guidelines. I also included a, um, a link at the end of my presentation to their website, but I kind of took and I pulled a few that I think 
um, would be good to kind of highlight just so that you guys don't have to read through the whole document. It's a little boring, it's a little long. <laughs> so um, just thinking about like hallways and pathways. When people, when you're setting up chairs in your kid's room, do kids have enough room to navigate through your walkways if they're in a wheelchair? Um, the ADA says that hallways and pathways should be at least 36 inches wide, and that is clearance for someone to both physically have the chair there and to <coughs> propel with their arms out to the side. Um, doorways, they say 32 inches. Why is it different from hallways? Well, they, I guess they think that you can just like have someone push someone through a doorway. I'm thinking that's why. To be honest, I don't know. But I think 32 to 36 inches would be the minimum there. That's ADA guidelines. And then for shelving, cubbies, counters, et cetera, whatever have you, um, the ADA says 15 inches from the ground and no more than 48 inches in height to be accessible. So if you are thinking about your church's space right now and you're like, oh no, this is horrible. We do not have any of these things. Um, there are ways to modify that do not break your bank. I don't have time to list them all to you because I could literally go through on Amazon and price check a whole bunch of things, but that might not be helpful for you. So I'll let you do that. You know, look up if you're like, oh no, all of our doorknobs are around. Just literally Google adapting doorknobs. You know, like you can look this stuff up. There's ways to do it without completely having to remodel your space. Obviously, some designs are going to be a little bit more to um, change than others, but generally, there are a lot of ways to adapt your space that are pretty budget friendly. All right, so now we are going to kind of jump into addressing sensory needs. And so, as an OT, this is my bread and butter. I love talking about sensory processing and the way the brain works. It is fascinating to me. God was so creative when he made us. Um, so we're just gonna stay here for a little bit, especially because I feel that um, there is a lot more kids now who have sensory processing disorders and sensory needs probably now more than ever. I mean, I'm even with at work and stuff on my caseload, we're seeing an increase of kids who are coming in with these sensory processing differences and these sensory needs. Um, so we're just going to stay here for a minute and kind of talk about sensory processing in general. Um, I think it is very important to understand what sensory needs are and what is happening in your brain a little bit before we talk about how to meet those needs because there are so many different types of sensory processing disorders and sensory processing needs. I think it's important to be able to distinguish between some of them so that you can meet their needs effectively. So we're going to talk about sensory regulation. And if you don't know what that is, it is the brain's ability to maintain a stable state of alertness and engagement in order to participate in daily activities. So this statement right here is super important. Without sensory regulation, the brain cannot engage in learning. It's, not, it's more difficult. It's not that it's going to take a lot more time. They cannot. So. Talking about the brain, we have this saying in occupational therapy, we put it on t-shirts and mugs and it's very popular. We say regulation before expectation. So talking about and how the brain works, this says learning is an upper, upper brain function. If you think about the brain, um, some of you guys, if you went to the course talking about dealing with kids and trauma, they might have talked about this. I'm not sure. But um, if you think about your brain as your hand, and so this would be like the base of your brain. My palm would be like the lower half of your brain. So we call it the downstairs brain. And then my fingers would be the upstairs brain, so to speak. So at the base of your brain, this is where your sensory processing begins. And up here, this is where learning happens. So if you look at how information travels up your spinal cord into the brain, sensory processing is the first step. It is the first step. Do kids feel safe in your space? Does their environment help them to regulate before they can get to the learning part? That's in the upper brain. It's super important. There are several different types of sensory processing disorders, like I said. but. Um, I'm specifically going to point out two because I feel like I think they are the most common in my experience of dealing with kids. Um, and I think that these are ones that could really um, 
be difficult to address in a kids' church setting, and, but I think it's very important. So I'm going to point those two out specifically. I have a nice little diagram up here for you guys. So this chart, I'm going to come on this side. This chart over here is measuring your brain's regulation activity, right? So maintaining that stable state for participation, for engagement in your daily activities. This yellow band is called the band of regulation. So this ideally is where we want to be. The green line represents the typical person. So, you know, you might have some ups and downs where like, oh, you have more energy through your day, you have less energy during your day, you kind of bounce up and down throughout the day, but really overall you stay within this yellow band. You stay regulated. Um, the blue line is representing our over-responders. And so these are the kiddos who are on high alert all the time. A little bit of information for them is registered as a lot by their brain. These are the kids that are bothered by bright lights, loud noises, they don't like being close to a lot of people, don't like being in crowds, they might have meltdowns because they get overwhelmed very easy. Those are our over-responders. And you can see that a lot of times, they, what? they wake up outside of this yellow band and then it just continues to kind of go up and up and up throughout their day and they are just so overwhelmed all the time. Their brain is not getting this information to the upper parts of their brain. They're, it's like a traffic jam is happening. And so what we need to do, which I'll talk about in a little bit, is help to calm them, bring calming sensory regulation so that they can stay within this yellow band. The next one I'm gonna talk about is our sensory seekers. So these are gonna be our kiddos in the pink. And to be honest with you, it's not always as pretty as this pink little line. Sometimes they start down here and they go up and up and up and up and up. And sometimes they start in the yellow band, but then they can go up and up and up. And these are the kids who are constantly seeking out sensory input. So they are probably the kids that you're like, they cannot sit still. They physically cannot sit still. And your kids' pastors are probably like racking their brains like, oh my goodness, why can't you just sit down and listen? Those are those kids. They are our seekers. They are seeking out that sensory input wherever they can get it. And typically it's because their brain is not registering it as much or it's a little bit slower to register that sensory input and so they're like I need it I need it I need it and they go and get it wherever they can um, some common diagnoses that involve sensory processing disorders or sensory needs are going to be um, kids with autism. That's probably the one that we think of the most, but it's not exclusively for kids with autism. Also, children with um, ADHD typically have sensory needs. Kids who have gone through trauma typically have sensory needs, up to 90% of them. Kids who um, have exclusively a sensory processing disorder. So we are gonna talk about our over-responders. So to help promote regulation and learning in kids' church, uh, we're gonna talk about some strategies to use for those different types of sensory processing disorders or sensory processing needs. The first thing is to know their triggers. Have a space on that profile, again, to say, what are your child's triggers? If they have sensory meltdowns, if they become overwhelmed, what are the things that typically set them off? Is it bright lighting? Is it being too close to others? Is it um, being around a chaotic environment? Is it not knowing what's coming next? And so those transitions for them are anxiety provoking and overwhelming because they're just so overwhelmed. So you need to know those triggers. Examples of some triggers, um, I guess I kind of just went over those. Never mind, I'm gonna skip that part. Um, typically, we need to know the signs of overstimulation as well. So what are your kids' signs? You know, are, is it that they, their heart starts beating really fast? Maybe their face turns red, maybe their face gets flushed, maybe they start shaking. Um, a lot of kids, especially if they're overstimulated by sound, will hold their hands over their ears like this. Um, they might be hiding under a chair or try to hide under a table. They might just lay on the floor and not know what to do. Um, 
they might ball their hands into fists or their voice might get really loud. Those are some signs of triggers. So if you notice that they're gonna be overstimulated or you know that, um, hey, they're overstimulated by loud noises, we're about to get into worship and it's gonna get real crazy in here. Or they are triggered by those kind of chaotic environments. Their parent brings them in a half hour early to service and kids are running around the room playing basketball and kill, uh, throwing balls at each other and shooting each other with Nerf guns. Like That might not be the best environment for them. right? So if you know that ahead of time, that's gonna help you to say, how can I help them calm down? Or how can can I create a safe environment for them, an environment that feels safe to this child? So um, I threw up some examples on there. You can get noise-canceling headphones. They are awesome to have because typically when we're, you know, preaching and teaching to a large group, we're doing games and things, the environment is very loud. Those noise-canceling headphones are going to allow them to experience that in a way that they can still hear everything, they can still understand what you're saying, but it is not like their head feels like it's gonna explode like a balloon. Um, if there is a kid that does not like being close to others, maybe they are, they are um, sensitive to tactile input, they get nervous when people are sitting too close to them or if they bump into them, whatever that may be, have that kid sit in an aisle seat. That way, if they need to get up and go take a break, they're not interrupting anyone, they don't have a child on each side of them, just give them an aisle seat or scooch their chair over just a smidge, give them about six inches in between the next person give them a little bit of space. Um, if you have a kid that's overwhelmed by that chaotic environment, just take them out in the hallway and sit with them, chat with them, get to know them a little bit before service starts. When it's a little bit more structured, then bring them in. We need to have calming strategies, strategies ready to go to help them regulate to get to that learning center in their brain. So um, I've listed some examples here of calming strategies, other calming strategies that we can use besides decreasing the stimulation. So if you start to notice those triggers and you start to notice like someone's getting a little bit worked up, that is when we go to these. And I'll let you kind of read through them. I'm not gonna read all of my slides for you, but these are typically things that are very calming for people. I will tell you that um, as a therapist, the most effective calming strategies often, I'm not gonna say 100% of the time, every kid is different, but often is gonna be related to that tactile system maybe having something soft to touch, maybe having something just to like run their thumb across, like a textured fabric or something, having something to like twiddle their hands with, having something tactile that feels safe is very regulating. Um, there are two other sensory systems. As occupational therapists, we talk about them a lot, but in the um, world outside of that, they're really not commonly known. It's called proprioceptive system and the vestibular system. Basically, proprioception providing a lot of deep pressure, pressure to the muscles, arm squeezes, shoulder squeezes, back rubs, placing your hand on theirs, giving them a little bit of a squeeze. Those are gonna be very calming. Vestibular system is really your body, your brain, um, your brain sensory system that processes movement. So maybe they need to get up, maybe they need to take a walk. Maybe they need to um, do a quick little ankle pump in their seat or they need to rock back and forth. Something like that could be very calming to their body, giving them slow, rhythmical movements that they can do. The next thing is to make transitions predictable especially for those kiddos that have such a hard time and they're so overwhelmed already and they don't know what's coming next and then all of a sudden you're like sitting in your seats learning about the Bible and you're like, okay, it's game time. Everybody out of your seats. And that kid is like, oh no, what just hit me? So we need to make things predictable for some of those kids. And so um, some tools we can use to do that is visual schedules. Um, I actually have a visual schedule that I created a template for you guys. I have a link to it on my PowerPoint presentation that you guys can use um, doing social stories so social stories are something that you can give to a family ahead of time excuse me before coming into kids church so they would have that and they can read it to the child so it would say something like oh this Sunday I get to go to children's church and when I go to children's church this is what I can expect when I walk in the doors kids are going to be playing games then when the teacher gets on the microphone they're going to have us sit down and we're going to 
learn the rules for the day. And then we're going to go into the Bible story. So it'll just kind of go through a series of things to help kids know what to expect when they walk into the room before they get there. Um, the next thing is to have transition activities or transition boxes. This would be a really good idea if you guys could just keep these on hand in your kids' church room or wherever have you, but have them nearby, just like a little shoebox activity. So you could have something that has like beads and they have to like string the beads or have like a little box of Legos or something. But some kids have a lot of high anxiety when they're transitioning into the classroom from their parents. So giving them like a little transition box activity that they can do. Oh, come on over here, Johnny. We're just gonna play Legos for a little bit. Or maybe you have to start outside the classroom. Maybe you're like, okay, you don't want to come in. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to sit outside the door, and we're just going to play Legos for a little bit, and then gradually try to transition them into the classroom that way. So it gives them something to do where they're not just like, I walk in, everyone's playing, and I don't know what to do. You give them something purposeful to do to help them transition in. Okay, so... Now, we are going to get into our sensory seekers. So, sensory seekers need lots and lots and lots of sensory input to help with regulation. That is why they never seem to run out of energy, even though their, bo their body is constantly on the move. And they might be jumping off of things and climbing things all over the place. Their body's getting so much sensory input, but they just have a hard time hitting that regulation spot. So, this time, what we're talking about were the kids first walk into kids' church. And I apologize, that is not what I meant to do. Um, but this time, where kids are walking into kids' church and the kids are playing basketball and stuff, while that might be difficult for the over-responders, this is going to be perfect for our sensory seekers. They need to burn that energy. So, encourage lots and lots of movement before service. Um, something that is really effective for those kiddos is giving them heavy work. And it sounds mean. You're like, I don't want this kid to be feeling like they have to do work here, but like really this is good for them. This feels good for their sensory system. And if it doesn't, they'll tell you, that's okay, back off. But for a, most, of, most of the time, most of these kids that I have seen, they love that heavy work. You know, having to lift things, carry things, push things, pull things, have them do some wall push-ups. Be like, hey, we're going to have a push-up contest. Let's see how many, how many wall push-ups we can do. Or, oh no, I think the wall is falling down. I need you to help me hold it up. So they're pushing and they're getting all of that sensory input to their muscles and their joints. That's going to be good for them. You can get creative with it. Um, but that time before service is going to be essential for them to get that, that energy out and get some regulation in their system. Um, during teaching time, when we don't want them running around the room, um, fidgets are a great resource that we can use. But I do want you to be mindful that not every kid benefits from a fidget just because they seek sensory input. Um, some people think that, you know, if you just give a kid a fidget and that it's going to solve all of your issues, that is not true. Have them on hand, use them, but be strategic about it. Um, some kids will get more distracted with the fidget than they would if they didn't have one. It might be better to just have that kid pace in the back of the room than to give them a fidget because they would listen better if they did that. So if that's the case, that's fine, that kid doesn't benefit from that, you don't have to use it with them. But they are a really good tool to have on hand for kids who do benefit from it. Um, with those profiles I'm talking about, again, a really good question would be, hey, does this person use a fidget in school? If they use it in school, it might be effective in your kid's ministry. If the parent says, I don't know, you can do a little bit of trial and error. There's no harm in that. But just be mindful that it doesn't work for every single kid, but it is a tool to have in our arsenal. Another thing is that there are movement suggestions their kids can get those, um, that sensory regulation to their muscles and their body without it being disruptive. So having them sit and do ankle pumps at their seat. Maybe they're rocking in their seat. Maybe they're touching their thumb to their fingertips. Or um, maybe you strap an exercise band to the bottom of their chair and they have something to ram the back of their heels into. <laughs> Honestly, that is one of the more effective ones that I've seen. So we laugh, but it is, it works. <laughs> um, another thing is to ask, talk to the children's pastor, but ask if that kid can help during the lesson. Hey, 
this person, you know, they have a hard time sitting still sometimes. Do you think that they could help with part of the lesson today? Maybe they can hold something, like a sign up for an object lesson, or maybe they can help with the Bible verse or be a character in the Bible story. Maybe um, if we're running out of water for the kids, this person can go like fetch a, a jug of water and their buddy can go with them. Something like that, just to help them incrementally kind of get up throughout the lesson, get a little bit of that energy out, and then they can return to their seats. But it's a little bit more organized and it gives them purposeful movement to do rather than unpurposeful movement, right? Um, I just, this slide, I don't really have a ton to say, but people often ask me like, okay, so what fidgets do you suggest? I just threw up a bunch of pictures of fidgets that I commonly use and that I think are good with kids. Honestly, I try to stay away from balls because kids just want to throw those. So they're probably going to end up like hitting someone else in the back of the head or something. I don't usually recommend them, but those squeezy balls are pretty cool. And then some other things um, that they can use. This one is not really a fidget as it, as it is like a chewy. So a lot of kids will um, like orally stimulate, so like chew on their shirt, chew on their hair, chew on their fingers, whatever it is. But a chewy is a good alternative to that if that turns into an issue. Okay, and this is the last thing. Let me check my time real quick. This is the last thing I want to talk about. And um, in occupational therapy school, we learn something called activity analysis. And so well, for us, there's like a whole class dedicated to it, and we dive really deep into it. But um, And we learn to like break down activities so that we can focus on areas of rehab and things like that. But for our purposes here, my definition is going to be breaking down activities into smaller steps, then using that information to improve participation or success in that activity. So, we are going to focus on using this skill to break down some of the interactive activities that we might use in kids' church and um, that kids with disabilities might have a hard time participating in because of their needs. So we're going to focus on how to break down these activities and then to make them more inclusive for so that everyone can participate. So the first step is to break down the task into smaller steps. Um, and this can be done a variety of different ways. It just kind of is up to you. And my example of that is I can tell you how to wash your hands in five steps, right? Turn on the water, get your hands wet, rub some soap on there, turn the water off, dry your hands, right? And you guys understand all of that because you guys have all washed your hands before. Or I can break down washing your hands into 20 steps. Walk up to the sink, reach your hand forward, grab the knob, turn it to the side. Okay, now remove your hand from the knob, put your hand under the water, and so on, right? So you can break it down differently and um, just kind of, you kind of have to know your buddy in order to be able to break down those steps and how detailed you need to make it. Um, but just essentially that is what it is. So first step, we're going to identify how to break the task down into smaller steps. The se second thing we're going to do is examine those steps and say, okay, what is the part of this activity that this specific person is having difficulty with? Okay, and then this third thing is to modify the task to make them more independent, or if that is impossible, then assist them with the task. But the reason that we would rather modify before assisting someone with it is because independence is important. Um, a lot of kids with disabilities are used to people just doing things for them rather than asking them if they want people to do it for them or rather than just modifying it to help them be more successful at it. So modifying is going to be key here. Um, if they really need assistance, you might say, is it okay if I help you? And then assist. But this is really to allow as much independence as possible. So we are going to hit some examples with this. Um, this is our activity. So we are learning about Jesus riding into Bethlehem on Palm Sunday, and we are making maracas out of water bottles and beans to cheer Jesus on as he rides into town. Woo, go Jesus, Hosanna. All right, so <laughs> we are going to break down this activity. So who wants to tell me what the first step of this activity would be? There are no wrong answers to this, I promise. Yes. Move, I'm just going to say move to work area to make it shorter. 
Okay, anyone else? Gather supplies. Okay. Yes. Open the water bottle. We're going to assume that these water bottles are already empty. <laughs> okay. For anyone? What was that? Play speeds and water bottle. Either way. <laughs> Repeat step four. <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> Don't eat the beans. Close the bottle. Okay, last, last one. Shake it. All right, sing Hosanna. <laughs> All right, so in this situation, your buddy has weak hand muscles and poor fine motor control. So he or she cannot pick up the beans. We are having a breakdown in this part of our process. Ah, yes. I heard someone help them by putting the beans in for them. I heard someone get a funnel and a scoop, which is kind of where my mind was going. <laughs> There's no real wrong answer in this. It's just really to think of. Yes, yeah, yeah. And you absolutely can. Yeah, um, Yeah. You could, you could hand them beads one at a time. Um, I kind of went the funnel route as well. I was like, grab a piece of paper, make it into a funnel, stick it in the bottle, they can scrape the beads in, or you, they can grab a fistful of beans and just dump them all at the same time. There's no wrong answer in this. Um, I'm just giving you guys an example of where my thought process was going. But any way that you can modify that task to help them with that one step that they're having difficulty with is really the point of this activity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Or if you use the bag as a funnel and just cut the corner off. That's a great idea. It is. <laughs> all right, we're going to do. One you should do for all, everybody, because otherwise you're going to make them feel like you only did it for them. Yes, I mean, there is that, too. But you can offer it to everyone. Just say, hey, I gave this person a funnel. Or we put these beans in a bag for them, and we cut it, and we dumped them in. Does anyone else want that? Or does anyone else want help with this? For sure, you can offer it to everyone. All right, we're going to do one more activity like this. So this one is a little bit more challenging, um, but I wanted to kind of give you guys some examples because you're probably going to run across some, some challenging ones where you're like, this, uh, this is just not working. So um, this is our activity. We're playing a game that involves placing two boundaries on the floor, so like two pieces of tape or something, and seeing if the kids can jump across. So excuse me, the boundary gets bigger and bigger every round. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is a game that we've actually played in our kids' church. That's why I, I thought of it. Um, but how would you guys break down this activity? Mm -hmm. Place the boundaries. Anyone for a second step? Jump. Jump. <laughs> Yep, line up behind the boundary. Separate either boys or girls or by age. Uh, separate kids. I just don't want to have to write down all that. <laughs> Number four. Demonstrate. 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 
And then we jump, right? <laughs> we jump. Okay. So in this situation, your buddy is in a wheelchair and feels that they cannot participate because they cannot jump. So I don't know. <laughs> this is just like a, yeah, just a random scenario. They might be able to crawl. But this one's a little bit harder because the whole game is jumping. Well, but right? Morning, you're like, I had a kid in a, I had a CP uh -huh. that he couldn't, he couldn't have jumped. But like, he could have crawled or two people could have helped him. Like, they mm -hmm. could have like jumped him. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. they could have taken him by each arm and And help him jump. Him. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, so it depends like what is their right. extent of their Disability. Right, exactly. And this is just very general. It's, it's general on purpose because it's kind of, it's open-ended. Right. So, yeah. What did you say? If they have the physical strength to propel the wheelchair, can they, in one push, how far can they get? Dude, you and I are on the same wavelength. I kid you not. But then you can have them tell, like, kids, and if they can't do that, two kids, one on each push bar, and say, ready, Set, go. And yeah. Push and the further wider it gets, you can give them a countdown time, but when they have to let go to get them across, yes. they can judge for themselves the distance they're going to need to get across. Right. We definitely, we got some telepathy going on over here. That is my thoughts exactly. So you can still make it competitive. It's still fun where this person gets to participate and they don't feel like, oh, well, I'm just rolling across the barriers and it's really not a challenge, but still make it competitive. Still give them a challenge, but it just looks a little bit different. So you modify the activity rather than having to do it for them or if they do need a little bit of assistance, that's totally fine, but still letting them participate where they get to go whoosh across the lines, right? It's still fun. It's still well, fun. Even modify the game. If you see that kid coming in before search starts, you can change it from jumping to a time thing where it's almost we got to get across the line. Absolutely. Running or, and then that way you can actually have them work together as a team. And yeah. Make them feel that way too. So. Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like with with um, children's pastors and kids workers, a lot of times we are very creative people, and so that is the beauty of it. Um, that you can just kind of create this and modify these activities to be whatever you want them to be, to still get your point across, still make it competitive and fun for everyone. But it just looks a little bit different, right? Again, going back to the goal is the same. Our methods need to be inclusive, right? Did you have something to say back there? Make sure you got a whistle. Make sure you have a whistle. <laughs> yeah. 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 All right. So, um, that is pretty much what I have for you guys. The last slide I have is just some resources. So I'll just go through these really quick and then I'll allow for questions. Um, the first one is Special Touch Ministries with Dwayne and Tracy Coral. If you don't know them, you should know them. Yes. They're awesome. Um, they are they are local Ohio missionaries through the AG. They will come to your church. They will do trainings with you and your volunteers. They will give an assessment of your building and see if it is accessible and welcoming for people of all abilities. And they are an amazing resource. If you don't know them, please check out their website. Please contact them. Um, I know them personally. They are wonderful people. The next resource is um, Joni and Friends. And this is a website. And they have tons of like video resources resources on there. So if you um, are trying to convince your lead pastor that you need a special needs ministry, they have great videos on why this is helpful and why this is needed. They have great training videos. So even if you have um, maybe Tracy and Dwayne come and do a um, training with you guys, maybe you want resources to be able to refer back to. So Joni and Friends has a lot of great video resources that can be helpful as well. Um, social story examples. So these are just some that I found online that talk about um, kids going to school. And so kids that might feel overwhelmed by maybe transitioning into school or going into a new classroom, but you could kind of take these social stories and modify them to fit kids' church. Right, um, still a classroom, still going into a new space with new people, new kids, um, maybe leaders that they don't know, um, but 
rather than school, just kids' church, right? And then this is the visual schedule template that I created for you guys. Um, you could go on, download it, you can modify it, but I just tried to think of, um, like I gave you a little template layout. It just has, it's just a strip. So you would print that out, laminate it, stick some Velcro on that bad boy. And then I gave you some um, icons as well that you could print, laminate, stick Velcro on it, and then you could just put the icons on that schedule. Um, and then also the ADA compliance info if you're thinking about modifications to your space or your building. Yes? Do you also have the uh, profile as a template available with that? The profile? I do not. Okay. That would have been a really great idea for me, but I did not put up a template for a profile. I do think that Tracy and Duane have um, maybe a template that they've used in the past as well, though. Thanks. Yes? I saw everybody taking pictures. Uh, if you go into your Synergy schedule, all of your notes are in there already. Yes. You can download them, and then you can just click on all the links. So oh. stories you Yes, thank you for mentioning that. Um, does anyone else have questions? I know you guys have probably had a long day, but... Does anyone in here have special needs children? A lot. It's a good amount. <laughs> Glad you clarified. At church. At church. At church. At church. Okay, any, anyone else before we close out? Okay, um, if you guys don't mind, I'll just pray for us and then I will dismiss you guys and you guys can get on with the rest of your day. All right, um, dear God, I just thank you so much for allowing us all to be here. I thank you um, for the opportunity to speak and to um, provide some of my knowledge to these beautiful people and these people who have a heart for um, your children, the children who often are not seen and not heard, but um, the children that you love and that you care about so, so much. I pray that you would just empower us and help us to um, have wisdom and how we go about dealing with those who have special needs in our churches, in our communities, and that you would just help us to um, be mindful of their needs and to have wisdom in order to reach them with your love and to love them to the best of our ability to help them feel welcomed and included and a part of your family and our family here on earth. In your name I pray, amen. amen.